welcome to Cutting Through the Noise, your unfiltered backstage pass to the truth behind the hair and beauty industry. Today we have the incredible Tom White from Same Same But Different Salon. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. Thanks for having me, mate. Really appreciate it. It's um it's been so good. It's it's so good to have you on the call. We um obviously have been watching a lot of the conversations that you guys you've been having online around the industry and today we've brought you on to talk about uh, I guess your concerns around what's happening in the industry the great divide and you know your thoughts around um, what the future looks like so do you want to start by telling us a little bit about that great divide I like that that's him do you know what that really ain't too far off the mark of where we're actually sitting right now so the conversations I've been bringing up, and I, I think it's one that we, we're not having properly as an industry. Um, in many countries, I'm, I'm English, so I, I keep up to date with what's happening back over in the UK. I've still got a lot of mates that own salons, a lot of independent hairdressing mates over there as well. Um, so I keep up to date over there as well. And no one really seems to be having that much of a conversation about it's pretty much become salon owners versus independent hairdressers. And... There's 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 certain there's certain things that are happening in the industry that that are pushing them even further apart. Um, and my biggest worry, and the question I've been asking, and let me just just for be completely open and honest, I actually don't mind independent hairdressers at all. Um, obviously I don't love them because it challenges the salon <laughs> the salon environment and the the business model which I which I I have. But yes. what I do like is the fact that the the hair industry is probably the least progressive industry in the entire world and it has been for 25 30 years and everyone's turning around again oh we're so progressive we're so inclusive we're not we're absolutely crap we are so far behind so many industries in so many different ways independent hairdressing has just done a massive and i excuse the language fuck you to the the old way of doing things and now it's put so many people on the back foot and terrified i personally am not terrified i i i personally think and i might be eating my words in two years time here i think i can find a way of of appeasing both lifestyles personally i think i've done it but i might be wrong i might be begging for an independent hairdressing spot in two years time i don't know but the, in- the industry, what, what we've got now is the next 10 years is so critical to what we look like for the next 100 years. And the fact that everyone knows this, but the big players and the big people that are running the industry aren't really having this open conversation uh, is a problem. Where are the apprentices coming from? We've already got an issue. We've already struggling to get people through the door. I mean, getting them into an apprenticeship is hard enough. Actually getting them to complete it. It's even harder. Apparently, there was only 22% of apprentices over the last two years have completed their apprenticeship in hairdressing. 22%. Mm. Oh, it's crazy. And I think that, well, not I think, I know for a fact I was speaking to um, Barry from the fellowship the other day and he was saying that the amount of apprentices that are coming through the industry uh, now uh, in the UK, I think there was only 3,000 in the last 12 months, which is so small. 3,500 by 2025 based on current figures. Yeah, that's Barry yeah. Stevens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, and it's true. And we've got a very, very, very similar situation here in Australia where we've it's, everyone's struggling. The biggest salons in the country are struggling to get apprentices and hire new staff, the biggest ones. The ones that, you, that are winning awards left, right and centre like are struggling to get people. Now, the issue we've got is that if there's no apprentices coming through, hairdressing starts dying out hairdressing starts dying out it becomes even more of a luxury to have your hair done because prices are going to rocket because supply and demand issues for the client it's going to have a massive problem as well which no one's talked about yet um Mm. 
so I want to make sure that whatever's going on now, we can still somehow have apprentices coming through. And that I don't think the sound environment's ever going to die. I don't think the traditional traditional uh, way of doing things is ever going to die because it, it's the only way the industry carries on. Like, yes, it has to change. And yes, it is changing. I think, I mean, we've, we only open Tuesday to Friday. All, all my crew work four days a week. They have an option to do between 30 and 38 hours, whenever they want, really. Like, there's ways of doing it which work. Well, I mean, we've been doing that for like four and a half, five years. Mm. So all these models aren't necessarily brand new. There is salons doing it. But without us, the salon owners at the minute, like the industry dies, there's nothing there, is there? Mm. Yeah, I think, um, I, I mean, I know you've been having a lot of conversations online about this. You know, um, I've been sort of tracking a little bit about the you know conversations that you've been having. What what are other industry people saying about how they can save the apprentices and and bring new people into the industry? Is there any conversation around that? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely spoken to a few of my mates. Like Jules Tognini, he's been a great mate of mine for many years. I speak to him quite a lot. Same with his brother, Christian. And they're really forward thinkers. I mean, Jules is possibly, for our generation, probably the greatest educator to come out of our, our generation, full stop. I mean, the guy's a living legend. Um, he's helped me so much in my career and he's given me so much advice on how to do things and what to do and stuff. And even he is at loggerheads with what to do. And this is coming from one of the most innovative, creative minds in the entire industry. And even he's struggling to work out how to do this now. Um, I think that if you look at the whole education side of things and how apprentices are taught, it's too long. Three years is too long. Um, and people can argue with me until they're blue in the face. You do not have to do three years as an apprentice to learn hairdressing. You just need to change the way the apprentices are being taught. But saying that, I think 12 months can also be too short because you can't necessarily teach someone who is not that what, that gifted at hairdressing. Some people have a natural talent where they just pick it up and they're like, boom, 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 they get it done. Some people have a have a different learning way and it takes a few times to get it done. Um, but come back to it, the whole point is the actual education system for the apprenticeship is, is wrong. Um, the way it's taught, and I'm not pointing fingers at colleges and TAFEs, I'm not pointing fingers at education systems. I suppose I'm pointing finger at the government more than anything for actually not funding change properly over the last 10 years. But that has to change for, for this industry to move forward. That is, I think the absolute main problem and the reason why a lot of these other i'm going to do in inverted commas issues have arose over the last five six years um i mean the, so there's got really to, got to be an innovation around education basically the whole thing's got to change the whole thing's got to change um and the, what worries me is that this it can't change overnight it would have to take five six seven years really based purely on the level of of people we've got looking after certain parts i'm trying to be very very careful with what i say here because i'm not trying to anyone i'm not trying to cause problems what i'm trying to do is i don't think the people that are leading our industry most of the time i don't think they're doing enough to actually innovate change and connect the industry together um I'm kind of bringing up a lot of different angles on this part, but it all just centered out how are we teaching our apprentices? We're not a sexy industry anymore. Like, we're just not. You no. know what I mean? Like, there was a time where hairdressers were rock stars. I'm 36. Well, I started hairdressing when I was 21 or 20. I remember when I was coming into the industry, Lee Stafford, AD Phelan, like, these were like legends. Beverly C., Sassoon still had it, like Mark Hayes and, and, and all those were still kicking ass at Sassoon's. Like we had some absolute cracking hairdressers that were in the media, they were on TV, they were doing all these different things, they were rock stars. And 
everyone wanted to be like in a creative industry and hairdressing was huge. Like when I went to TAFE or college, like I, I you had to audition to get into the college. There's that many people wanting to actually go to college and become a hairdresser. It was so hard to get an apprenticeship um, because there were so many people wanting to do it. The reason mm-hmm. that internally we have our rock stars, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like in, yeah, but externally, no one's looking into the industry now. Mm. Not nothing. And I think I think there's there's many different um, contraindications and contributing factors to that. But one of them is the fact that the education is boring as shit. <laughs> like we're still teaching the same crap that we were teaching in the early 90s. It's mm. not been revolutionised. It's not been changed. We still don't even teach curly hair and afro hair in yeah, college it's crazy like or, 60... i mean extensions is an elective as well so i mean it's just You're it's not... crazy i know mm. you still expect to do a chemical straightening when half the salons i know won't touch chemical straightening because of the sustainability factor mm. it's, it's just it's not aligned with what the new generation or not even the new generation what the current gener- generation have wanted and want um, like the 65% of the entire world's population have some form of curl to their hair and we don't teach it like in, in Australia now I'm, where I'm from in England I'm from Wolverhampton and we've got like a really multi multicultural diverse community like I grew up most of my mates were either black Indian Pakistani like it was just normal. I'm not going to say I don't see colour because I don't believe that's a real thing. Of course you see bloody colour. But it was just normal for everyone to mix. So when I grew up, I was learning how to do, when I was starting hair, I was learning how to do different types of hair because it was essential that I learned how to do Afro hair and learned how to do Asian hair. And, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Australia has now become, and is fast becoming even more, a multicultural diverse society. How are we not introducing this into TAFE straight away? Um, mm. And then when it comes back to then the separation we have with salons and independence, when we do eventually get that in, how are the, where's the commitment from salons and independence to build these education systems and to actually learn them and produce this kind of stuff inside their work environments? Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of issues. Like with with the education side of things, and I think salons are now being forced to build education systems and spend money on education. The reason why some salons lost a lot of staff to independence is because they were just getting lazy and they didn't do anything or didn't do enough shit to actually keep people entertained, happy and progressive. Um, there's a, lot there's of a huge cost to education as well. There is a huge cost, but then you've got to look at the ROI, like the return on yeah. investment. You've got to look at it. And this is another thing that might piss people off, but... There's a lot of educators out there who are absolutely terrible. They're good good hairdressers, but they can't actually facilitate an education. And Mm. it's become so saturated in certain parts of the education space where I think now some some salons are terrified to hire people. I heard someone charging 11 grand the other day. 11 grand? For an an in-salon course. Now, I'm all, all about making your money. Do you know what I mean? I'm all about getting yours and charging what you're worth. 11 grand like it's just not it's not you can't do it. it's insane it's insane what were they actually um, teaching oh maybe balayage. i should have said that no it's balayage it's balayage i won't name names oh, so, okay it's, it's, right it's balayage which is great and it, it needs to be taught and it's brilliant and like i said all props to this person but it gets to a point where you just go is that just a bit too much oh it are we helping the industry as educators you gotta do you gotta do two things you gotta set a, a high standard but you've also got to make sure you're actually helping the industry move forward one way or another. And there has to be a very 
there has to be an alignment between what you're charging and what you're producing. There has to be a return on investment. So education is about return on investment. And yeah. salons are starting to understand that and see that. And I think educators now are starting to actually understand that they actually have to produce something which can then have an, an immediate effect on a bottom line of an independent hairdresser or salon profit line. It has to. Um, but you come from a, I mean, for, for those of the, for, for those listeners that don't know, you you come from uh, a strong education background. Do you want to talk a bit, little bit about that? Yeah, I've been I've been educating for um, eight years, I think now, maybe nine years. Um, I've, I've travelled, I've travelled into many countries and taught. I've been very fortunate. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a massive, I'm a big lover of education. It's it's the cornerstone to everything I've done. So I'm I'm not was never a talented hairdresser. I never got it. I had to work really, really, really hard to understand the creative side of things. And even now, I mean, I've won awards and stuff and I final for the, all the awards, but I'm not creative at all. I have to reverse engineer everything. It's a massive pain in my ass to do these kind of things. But you have to do these things to stay relevant, which is fine. But everything that I do, I've done has always been built on making sure I go get my education to bring it back so I can break it down mathematically to then convert it to something that I know how to use. So that's how my education started was all about kind of looking at everything more analytically and breaking everything down to not just, and I know this is done a lot now, but not just the why, but the actual how. How does this work, this angle work, based on the way you pull it out and project it out from the head, blah, 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 blah. So I've been teaching for 10 years, and I've worked under some incredible people, Laura McCowan, Jules Stognini, like some absolute legends of the industry. Um, and it, it's it's taken me to places that I never thought I'd get to go to. Um, it, it's helped me launch the salon brand. It's helped me launch the education systems that I have. I've now just signed with Davines, um, which are a wicked Italian brand. So it, it's, yeah, it, it's been a, an amazing launch pad um, for my career, the education side of things. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think, um, I mean, do you think being quite analytically brained has helped you with your education? I'm, I'm assuming it would have. Yeah, it has. Because I'm not, like I said, I'm not the best hairdresser in the world. Like, I'm, I'm not. And I'm very open about that. And I think that's actually my strength is that I'm not the best hairdresser in the world. Like, I've had to work so hard to understand how hair works. So the analytical side is I know how to break a haircut down and teach step by step by step by step by step and make it accessible to other people. So whether you're an apprentice or a director, I can make it harder or make it softer. We can teach fundamentals. We can teach it on an expert level. Um, so yeah, that, that part of, that part of me definitely helps with the education side for sure. Um, it's not saying that's the only way you teach. I know, I mean, Jules, Jules is the opposite. That's why me and him used to work well together. Jules ain't analytical. Jules is so creative. He understands how hair works. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely he does. But he can see, a, he can see a shape and see how to mold it and use his tools to kind of mold. I always, I've always compared him to like a, an artist, like a painter, like he can see his head's a canvas. And he can literally paint on that head and create whatever he wants. It's incredible to watch. I can't do that. I have to go, right, let's break this down to physics and maths. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, and so um, I guess, you know, when we're talking about the change of the industry and how it's affecting your salon business, do you want to talk a little bit about that? So for me, it hasn't affected anything yet. Being straight up, it really hasn't. Um, we, we, we're growing by the day really it's been i've had the salon i used to be part of a, a chain um a few years ago there's three salons three directors and i split because i wanted to do something different i wanted to i, I don't agree with uh, gender-based prices i don't agree with having your hours set in stone i don't agree with you having antisocial hours these are all things that used to piss me off when i was an employee and mm -hmm. i was like why can't you set up a company 
where you have job security and you have all those good things, but then you also have the freedom of being who you are, what you want to be, go and catch up with mates on a Thursday night for a beer if you want, and then make up the hours on a Friday or whatever it is. So that's what I've created. I've created a, a, a salon where, don't wrong, there's rules and regulations because any business has to have them. You've got to have policies and procedures for sure, um, no matter how big or small you are, but they have a lot of freedom to do what they want. Uh, when they want they can go on holiday when they want they can they look after their own columns they can pretty much they live like independent hairdressers but have the job security of having a job um and i guess that's um i mean that's an interesting point because i, I guess if you're if you're saying that you're not being affected but your salon work life balance is like an independent hair stylist yeah. then maybe that is also a um i guess a topic of a conversation about what salons could be doing yeah, oh, there's a, there, is a, there is a middle point. And this is what I said earlier when I said, I think, and I, I'm going to stress this word, think, because I've only had it in practice for three years and it changes very quickly. But I think I found a middle mark where huh. I can appease both. Yes, it's not as free as if you were independent. You can't wake up that week and go, I'm going to work all seven days and work 80 hours, or I'm just going to work two days, 10 hours. That's not how this can work but then I'm not going to turn around and say your hours are this to this to this and I expect you to be 20 minutes before you shift. And if you finish half an hour late, you don't get paid. That's not what we've got, which is the old mm. salon model. You know what I mean? Um, mm. So it's a, kind of a, a new, newish salon model. Uh, I don't want to say it's a new salon model. No, I don't think it is. It's just a hybrid. All I've taken mm. is the old idea and a new idea and I'll put them together. So I don't even want to say it's a new thing because all I've done is copy other people. I've just married it differently. That's all no. I've done. And I, what isn't isn't that hairdressing though? <laughs> isn't that from the start to finish inside out what you do? Take yeah, ideas together and you create something new. Um, like there's other people that have done this. Like Mia DeVries, absolute legend in the industry. She she was one of the first people that actually started doing all this kind of stuff, stopping working on Saturdays, all that. So I've had countless conversations with her about this and she's given me advice. So a lot of people have helped me with this. Um, but yeah, I do feel like I found a middle, a middle ground where both can work. I think the, the thing I see, the thing I see, which is going to be a problem, um, we'll, we'll do salons first, is I don't think there's a lot of salon owners that have owned salons for 20 years that have lived a very, very good lifestyle from the profits and all that of, of 20 years who have owned a salon. I don't know whether they're going to be able to change, even if they want to, I don't know whether they're going to be able to change as fast as what they need to, to keep the salon that they have alive. Now I'm, I'm speaking generally, of course, there's going to be people that can do it, of course, but that's kind of a main concern for a vast majority of those people. But then on the independent side, it started to happen in England now where regulations have changed and now it's become more like it's kind of disguised employment. And now in England, they're making a bit of an issue of it and disguised employment and they're actually stopping people from working as an independent hairdresser in certain environments with the salon being open plan. I can see that becoming an issue here, potentially, purely and only because the more people that go independent, the less, the less tax that is paid by companies as a whole as an industry. And governments yeah. don't like this tax. <laughs> it's simple. No, no, of course. And I'm not gonna. I'm not going all conspiracy. This conspiracy. It's, it's just fact. Like governments need to bring in money from tax. If there's if there's certain industries that aren't paying the same amount of tax over the space of five years, they're gonna look into what's happening. If they see a lot of independent hairdressers, they're gonna go right. Well, this is a new tax on you, or you have to do it like this. Exactly what they've done in the UK. 
I can see mm. that potentially happening here. Um, which would be I think we're still a little bit behind from what's, I mean, yeah. this, this, the scale of how different the industry is in the UK and the US, I think it's still coming in. It's obviously, it's there in Australia, but it's probably not as like, aggressive as it has been there. I don't think it will be because the working conditions here in Australia, the employment law here is the greatest in the world. If you're an employee, the employment, the employment laws here favour you over an employer every day of the week. And so it should do. So it should do. There's that many people that have taken advantage of that many people over the years. That's the way it is. Minimum wage here is so much more than what it is in the US and the UK. Yeah. So we'll never be as big here, independent hairdressing, as what it is in the UK and America. But it's still going to be an issue when you can't get apprentices through. And the salon model is the only way of producing apprentices at the moment. I guess what, um, you know, what, what would be the biggest message that you'd want to get out to the industry um, on this uh, on this conversation and you know, is there anyone that you'd like to call upon to try and make some change or I don't know? There's, there's, a, there's a few people that are doing some good things at the minute, like Justin Pace, who owns um, Cohen Pace. He's just launched Curate Awards, which is purely, if anyone doesn't know who Justin Pace is, he's one of the best creative hairdressers this this country's ever produced, in my opinion. He's just won Australian Hairdresser of the Year again. Um the guy's an absolute legend. He's just started a brand apprentice awards um, based for his regional and urban awards. If you, you need to have a look at it. If you've got apprentices, you need to get on this curate awards. It's incredible. Um, incredible prizes as well. Um, so there's a few people out there trying to do good things um, that have the power and the connection to bring things together. There is. Um, I think, once again, I'm not picking on any particular person or, or industry organisation, but the organisations that we have within Australia right now, the ones that represent us at, at federal and state level, I don't think are good enough. I really don't. Um, I think there's, there's they do a lot of good work. Let me get that in first. They do a lot of good work. But I think this, the main issue is the industry is dying, and I don't think it's it's talked about enough I don't think enough action is taken. I don't think the right people are involved um, with, to actually make a change. So I, I suppose I'm calling on people to actually have a bloody chat, start talking to each other and actually build something that's inclusive in the industry. As part, apart from one organisation leading things, another organisation leading things, everyone needs to come together now. If we don't, we ain't going to have an industry in 10 years. It's going to be screwed and no one's going to be making any money to, to live or survive. There ain't going to be anything to live and survive for. Our industry is going to die. Um, so, yeah, I'd like everyone to come together and actually have an open conversation about what are we feeling? Why have independent hairdressers gone? Because I hear all the bad stuff, but, like, I've also heard now a lot of independent independent hairdressers are trying to come back into salons because they haven't been able to make the money to survive. Mm. So why has that happened? Is there any way as salons we can help that thrive and also make us safe at the same time these are the conversations that need to be had mm. well you heard it first here everyone so if you do have any ideas please uh, reach out to us at cutting through the noise and tom i'm sure um you've got a uh open chat if anyone wants to ask you any questions about your salon model or anything like that please Absolutely. reach out to tom and tom do you want to just um drop your instagram name into yeah, the chat uh, at tom Oh, yeah, Tom at, I can't even remember it. <laughs> I, think we'll it's Tom it White, I think it's Tom White <laughs> underscore same, same, but different. I can't, I've changed it so many times anymore. That's right. We'll put it in the show notes for everyone, that anyone that wants to um, connect with Tom. But thank you so much, Tom, for jumping on today. 
And thank you to all of our listeners to uh, for jumping on and listening to Cutting Through the Noise and stay tuned for more interesting conversations around what is happening in our industry. Thank you so much and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you.